morning, everyone. Let's see if that's all right. Hello. <laughs> uh, right, it's great to be here this morning, and we're going to dive in to the second of our Sense series. Let me pray to begin. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word and all that we can learn from it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, we want to hear from you. And Lord, use me, take what I've prepared, but Lord God, would you work through it and challenge us afresh this morning. Amen. Now, if you grew up going to church, I wonder which memory verses you learned. It was a big thing, wasn't it, in the past? We don't do it quite so much now. But different memory verses that you might have learned. And if I started by saying, for God, could you finish it? Come on, you can do it. For God. Very good. Well done, everyone. So that was one of those key verses, wasn't it, that we knew. And the next verse after that, in verse 17, says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So when we think, well, why did Jesus come? These are the kind of verses. Let's go to another couple in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then again in verse 14, And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Jesus was sent to be the saviour of the world. And didn't we see that last week when John opened up for us that passage with the woman at the well? What did the people in Seeker say? As the woman went out, she told everyone, if you didn't hear, do go back and listen. It was excellent. And she went out and she told everyone, and people said, this is the saviour of the world. And that's, of course, who we worship today, the saviour of the world. But how did Jesus describe his own mission? Today we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, which is sometimes called the Nazareth Manifesto, which is right at the start of Jesus' ministry. And what I hope to do this morning is just show how Jesus widens our perspective. He widens it in two ways. He widens it as to what it is, so the content of that mission, and who it is for. What it is and who it is for. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. I haven't got it up, so if you've got a Bible, do open it. If not, uh, just listen carefully. Uh, In fact, I'm going to go from verse 14, because it just really sets the scene. Jesus returned to Galilee. This is just after he's been tested in the wilderness. In the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now we're going to leave it there for the moment, and we'll come on to the second bit a little bit later. But I wonder what you feel as you hear this. This is Jesus' manifesto. It's the start of his ministry. He's come back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's there, and he's saying, this is what I've been anointed to do. He pulls this passage from Isaiah, and he says, I'm here to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's exciting. It's a dynamic mission that he is on. And interestingly, when we think about the Savior of the world saving our sins, which of course is entirely accurate and it is what he came to do, he was ultimately born to die, but that's individualistic, isn't it? That's my sins. That's, that's my relationship with Jesus. I believe in him. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. But this mission, this is about our relationship with others. This is about proclaiming. This is about setting free. This is about opening the eyes of the blind. So Jesus widens what it's all about. And... It's a call to all of us too, isn't it? Because Jesus also builds up a community of disciples to follow him and walk in his ways. So just to unpack this briefly, we've got good news for the poor. That's the economically poor, but it could also be socially in poverty, spiritually in poverty, all different meanings of the word poor. He's come to bring good news. Those in need of help are a priority for Jesus. Freedom for the prisoners, well, that's often thought to be a more poetic sense of freedom from sin, so we're imprisoned by our sin. Ultimately, this, of course, is what Jesus comes to do through atonement on the cross. Recovery of sight for the blind, well, that just reflects all the healing miracles that Jesus came to do. But actually, sight for the blind was associated by the Jews with the Messiah. So in this passage, he's not just saying, I've come to to do some miracles, to show compassion. This is messianic stuff. I am the Messiah and have come to fulfill this. Set the oppressed free. This is thinking of those who are pushed down, pushed down by external forces. There are many people we know today, people groups who are oppressed. But it's also the demonic, which of course is a huge feature of Jesus' ministry, to go out and set people free from demonic forces. And finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is a reference to the year of Jubilee, which was taught to the Jews uh, in, in the law of Moses about really restoring lands back to those who had had to sell them because of poverty. It was just a restoration, and it's a time of favor. So Jesus is saying a time of favor is being ushered in. So we have five clear dimensions to the gospel message. There's preaching, the communication and testifying to what the good news of the kingdom is all about. There's changing lives through forgiveness of sins. The supernatural power to heal. The supernatural power to overcome spiritual darkness. 
and a discipleship community that's formed, which is a place bringing economic benefits to the poor. It's a place where the Lord's favor is. So this is what Jesus came to do, and it just shows us how much compassion and justice matter. You've got it there. It is the preaching, but it's also justice, setting oppressed free, freeing prisoners, and then, of course, the compassion of recovery of sight for the blind. One of the challenges in this manifesto for the church is to keep this holistic package together. Each is meaningful, but only together do they achieve their full power. The preacher knows those marching for justice are an important part of the team. Thoughtful justice advocates know that it's the justice of God that ultimately judges the justice they're striving for. And those who show compassion, they release that with a message that, you know, they, that's just the, the care that they are showing, but it only changes hearts as God's message comes in. They all work together, preaching, justice, compassion, and Jesus, right at the start of the ministry, lays them out. He widens the mission. Now, this was comfortable territory for the Jews, to be honest. They have the Old Testament, which is full of this sort of stuff. It's full of how much God cares about people. It's full about the importance of justice and compassion. So the Jews knew this, and the Jews were ready to embrace that. But what about the widening who it's for? And this follows on very much from what John was sharing last week and what I now really want to focus on for the rest of this morning. It starts with what's left out. There's a couple of technical things coming up, so bear with me. They are important. The first is what is left out of what Jesus says. So if we go to Isaiah chapter 61... Now, there's also a little bit which I'm not going to go into. He, Jesus does bring in another verse out of Isaiah. Instead of bind up the brokenhearted, he brings in recovery of sight for the blind. I'm not going to go into that because there isn't time. But what it says in chapter 61, after he's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So we've got that saying, the Spirit's on on me, and he's anointed me to do all these things, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's missing, isn't it? In Luke 4, Jesus doesn't lift that bit. He stops to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, there is a day of, of, of judgment, of course, but right now, the mission that Jesus brings stops there. And that is shocking for the Jews. Because for them, they're looking forward to the time that the Messiah is going to come and just herald the Jewish nation. And Gentiles are not in. It's all about leading the people of God and the day of vengeance for everyone else. But Jesus is like, no. He turns what was a text of judgment into an affirmation of mercy. He turns a text of judgment into an affirmation of mercy. So then the other technical thing is the next verse, uh, in which, which I'm about to read the next section. But in verse 22, it says, All spoke 
well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Now, in the Greek, the actual word for sort of speaking well of him is, is witnessed. It's like they witnessed it, i.e. they were there and heard him say it. But the Greek doesn't say whether it witnessed for or against. So actually, it is most commonly translated in this way that they spoke well of him. But you could argue that right from this point, as soon as they miss out the day of vengeance, they're actually affronted by it. They're actually already on guard, like, mm, something's not quite right here. Now, I've read a book that was bringing all this out, and I actually think as we read the rest of the passage that there is some real strength in that argument because it does explain a little bit more how Jesus then goes on to push this point through home and then we do get the fury. So we're going to read the next section now uh, with those two technical points in mind. So verse 22 to 30. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? You see, they could have said that in that same way, like, what, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, where, he's com- where is he coming from with this kind of comment? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now there's something serious going on here, isn't there? That the fury that came was such that they immediately drove him out of the town and actually up onto this cliff planning to kill him. Right at the very start of his ministry, Jesus is about to be killed. Why was there such fury? Well, let me give you a bit of background on Nazareth. So Nazareth wasn't around in the Old Testament time. Nazareth was a settler town that was, um, came around about sort of 200 BC, so about 200 years before Jesus. The town of Nazareth was founded very much as a Jewish settler town, which means it was to really make it feel Jewish. It was to bring back the Jewish way of living, because Galilee, the area of Galilee, was becoming a Galilee of the Gentiles. It was becoming too populated by Gentiles. So the whole purpose for Nazareth was to be there in this settler town. Now, what happens when you are there to really represent your, your nation and your people? Well, we've got some good examples at the moment, haven't we? I was uh, remembering last night a friend of mine at university who is Welsh, and 
We didn't really think about his Welshness until the rugby came on. And every year, my goodness, he became a different person. He got the rugby kit out. He suddenly started speaking Welsh, so we didn't even know he knew. I don't think he knew many words, but the ones he knew, he brought out at that time. And he became fiercely Welsh, and he connected with other Welsh people. And, and it was just, oh, I don't know what he was doing yesterday uh, when the football was on, but, but certainly about the rugby, it was all about his Welshness. And that's what we're like, aren't we? We... we we value the good things, and that is good, but we can become very insular. Another funny story while we're on, on sport and football was in 2002 when Brazil and England were in the quarterfinal uh, of the World Cup, and I was auditing in London and auditing WaterAid, which is a charity that's just sort of in Vauxhall, the area of London, just sort of uh, on the south side of the river. And it, they were early morning matches because it was in Korea, Japan, the uh, World Cup. So I went with someone from my audit team and we're like, well, we'll go and watch the match over breakfast because it was a funny time of day. And we'll just find a cafe near WaterAid and we'll just watch it. So we planned the cafe and we met and we walked into the cafe. It was Brazilian. Vauxhall is actually a really Latin American part of London. And we're sat in a Brazilian cafe with a load of Brazilians to watch this match. I mean, they, didn't, they weren't rude to us, but we certainly felt excluded. We were just in the wrong place to be watching that match, especially because we lost. Um, but, uh, you know, when we get nationalistic, people are excluded which for sport is, is a temporary thing, but in the case of Nazareth, this is where these Jews were. So Jesus comes back to them, and they, their worldview, if you like, is all around the people of God. The Messiah is going to come. It's going to be all about the people of God, the Jews. Day of vengeance for everyone else. And Jesus comes in with this. And look at who he chooses as heroes of the faith, not Abraham, not Moses, not David, not the kind of people the Jews would have been expecting him to say, but two Gentiles, two non-Jews. First of all, the widow in Zarephath, a woman, no less. He starts with the example of a woman. And then Naaman the Syrian. In just a beautiful picture really, of the inauguration of his ministry. This is my mission. This is what I've come to do. But you know what? It's for man and woman alike. In some cases, we go out. So Elijah went out of Israel, and that's where he met the widow, and the widow gave him food and took him in. Sometimes people are attracted in, like Naaman the Syrian, who came to Elisha and was given a challenging message to go and wash off the leprosy but did it, and Jesus commends them for their faith. Not about their lineage, not about their ancestors, about the authenticity of their faith. And the Jews are furious, so furious, so furious that they push Jesus out. The irony of all this is that the Jews were blinded and what has Jesus just come to say he's come to do? Open the eyes of the blind. He's not just talking about the physical miracles. He's talking about spiritual blindness. 
The Jews had restricted God's generosity and mercy. They couldn't comprehend the inclusion of Gentiles. And yet in Isaiah 49 verse 6, it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Let's go back to Abraham. What was Abraham told? That he would be a blessing to all nations. It was there. It was there in the Old Testament, but the Jews were blinded and chose not to see it. They chose to close their minds and they chose to reject that. They needed their eyes opening. So what does that mean for us today? How do we respond to this? You see, the Jews, when they were challenged to look out, closed it down. They drove out the messenger. They didn't want to hear it. They were not able to open their minds or hearts to God's wider purposes. Are we willing to open our minds and hearts to God's wider purposes? You see, we're invited to look from the inside out towards those outside. I have to reference back to the famous lifting of the blanket at this point, because you'll remember a couple of years ago, we talked about uh, Caleb was asking God how God saw our church and felt this sense of us being under a blanket, cozy, insular, and there was a call to lift the blanket so that it could be a shelter, so people could be attracted in and we could also go out that same picture that we saw with the two examples that Jesus chose. We are still called to lift the blanket. The pandemic has not changed that call. We are still called to look from the inside out, not drive the thought out, but embrace it. Remembering that it's not just individual salvation, it's not just Jesus is my saviour. It's a right relationship with God for all. It's a prophetic community that we bring as we bring compassion and justice in. Now, I've got a couple of illustrations, which I hope will work. So this is a coat of mine. Um, I haven't needed to wear this week, which has been quite nice. So, you know, it's quite a nice little coat. Do the buttons up. And I've got a little tie there. And that's how I might walk around. If we're doing things from the inside out... What sort of things can that... This is so that you remember it later, you know, when you think... Remember that sermon Jenny did when she put a coat on inside? Oh, it's a bit weird. Um, but hopefully the messages will go with you. So when you put a coat on, or anything on, inside out, it looks a bit weird. And sometimes you can look a bit strange to others as you look out and you do something different. It's also a bit uncomfortable because your buttons are in the wrong place. And now the tie thing on this particular coat... It's hiding somewhere in here. So it's a bit inconvenient sometimes, looking from the inside out. It can feel uncomfortable. It can feel inconvenient. But ultimately, it's what we're called to do. I went for a run this morning, and as I was running down Oxford Road, there was a lady in her garden, and I suspect she'd been up early doing some gardening, and she was stood in the front garden, just looking out. And I thought, that's, I just thought it was just, God really spoke to me about it, because as I ran past her, I said good morning to her, because she's looking out at the street as I run past her. And I thought, 
most of us, or many people, would, when they have a break for a cup of tea, go and have it inside. Or they might come and sit outside, but they maybe look at their garden and ponder what they're going to do next, or how nice it looks. But this lady was just stood looking out. I thought, what a wonderful picture of the inside out. So as I draw to a close, I just want to tell you one more exciting thing about the text itself. Now, you might remember at the beginning of March when I spoke on the, the um, raising from the dead of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the bleeding. Well, it, I more told the story, if you remember. And what I said is that in Middle Eastern writings, the climax is often in the centre, not on the outside. And what I love about that story is that Jairus was a synagogue leader. Jairus and his daughter, their story was on the outside. So the insider, the insider synagogue leader, sits on the outside of that story. And who's in the centre? The woman with the bleeding, the woman who was marginalised. And that central word, uh, that central verse of daughter, your faith, faith has healed you. Well, in Jesus' manifesto, where's the climax? Well, guess what? It's in recovery of sight for the blind. It's preaching, it's justice, and then it's recovery of sight for the blind, back out to justice and proclaiming. That is the absolute climax of what Jesus has come to do, to show compassion in physical healing and to open the eyes of those who cannot see clearly, whether that was the Jews who were spiritually blinded by their own prejudices or whether it is us today, Jesus comes and calls us to help others have their eyes opened. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for an incredible mission that you came to bring. And Lord God, we thank you that your heart is all about compassion. And Lord God, you long for people to see to see physically, but to see, to have a true revelation of who you are. Lord God, I pray this morning that we would have a true revelation of who you are, of your plans and purposes for us. Would you open our eyes? Amen. Amen.